Hey, how are you, Jay? I'm not too bad. How are you, man? Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, good to talk to you this morning, and I apologize if uh, there are any festivities going on today. Uh, I forgot no. <laughs> that it was Easter <clears throat> no, weekend. No, I, I, I picked Easter Sunday specifically because um, up until this year, legislation in Northern Ireland is that uh, liquor stores aren't open on Sunday, on Easter Sunday. So oh. I knew I would be off, I knew I'd be off work, and then my boss was like. Hey, uh, legislation changed. <laughs> so I'm working tomorrow. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, let, let's begin here. I'm really eager to talk to you and your perspective. And of course, your latest poetry collection. I think it's uh, wonderfully titled and I want to know more about it. But is it okay if we start at the beginning? And uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Let's, let's talk about how you got into this writing thing how this poetry thing how does that begin for you uh it started whenever i was about 14 13 you know i started writing properly um and at that time like you know when you first start out everything is self-inserts there's always a character that is you and for me you know i was this uh nerdy ginger kids that didn't really have a lot of friends so naturally enough he was like just a copy and paste of like a doctor who mm. <laughs> <laughs> with with ginger hair he was me um and then i i cupped on and realized i i couldn't really write prose all that well i didn't um i i always say i don't have the stamina for prose uh. but uh poetry came to me pretty quickly. I started reading, at that time, I started reading Jack Kerouac and uh, Charles Bukowski, who I have grown to have issues with because, mm. uh, you know, Bukowski, terrible misogynists. Uh, sure, yeah. But uh, their poetry, or uh, Kerouac's prose and, uh, and Bukowski's poetry really affected me and affected my work. And I started to be a lot more candid and uh frank with mm. it okay okay so uh i was looking at your bio real quick and i noticed that you you studied here at uh, in the united states did you spend some time at san diego is that right i did i did i studied at san diego for uh it was a year abroad program oh okay uh that operated in uh that operated in my second or third year of university. Um, mm. Basically, it was a year out. I got to study literature at uh, San Diego. I could have studied anything, really. They just wanted the points. So I could have done mm. surfing. I could have done, uh, <laughs> I could have done salsa, but two left feet and <laughs> peel, peel skin. That would make me a lobster if I oh, spent too no. long in the sun. So uh, I did a lot of work. Uh, I. I studied a lot of literature. I studied with, um, I studied under Katie Farris, who is a fantastic uh, writer and poet. She's the wife of Isla Kaminsky. Oh, uh, I studied under uh, Professor Angel Matos, who fantastic academic. He taught uh, YA literature, and it was his first class. We were his first class, and uh, he was a lot. He was a little more candid afterwards with myself and another international student and uh oh is that right in what way it just in a way that 
he could talk to us. I think that we weren't, you know, undergraduate students. Um, and sp specifically about things, well, not, not in his case, but uh, in universities in Europe, particularly in Northern Ireland, uh, our English departments, they were a lot more friendly. Like lecturers were a lot more, they would come drinking with us at the <laughs> university bar after class or something. Oh, awesome. They were a lot more approachable and a lot more um, friendly. You know, there wasn't really that tense relationship between lecturer and student. You could approach them with a problem or challenge their belief mm. um, in work, in, in uh, poetry or writing and stuff. Uh, and Angel, I think, he felt that a little bit with me and Maureen, who was my, my French friend who I studied with. Mm. Uh, not to say, like, I, I once invited him to, to a party and he was like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that, but <laughs> <laughs> have a good time. So what was that experience of, of coming to another country, experiencing a different culture at that time? Was there culture shock um, coming over? For me, not particularly, because uh, I have family in America. Oh, okay. So throughout... Throughout my childhood, we would have gone to, we would have gone to visit them. Uh, they lived in Virginia, mm. uh, which huge, huge difference between Virginia and um, and San Diego. But I was sort of, I was okay with, uh, I see. you know, the uh, the idea of dollars, the idea of Walmart, all this massive, massive stuff, yeah. um, or massive, massive changes, I should say. But uh, the thing that threw me a little bit, I think, was access to alcohol, <laughs> <laughs> because the drinking age in Ireland is uh, 18. Uh, yeah, right. The drinking age in the States is 21, and I was 20 at the time. So it was very much a going cold Sad turkey days, kind of huh? thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if I may ask, what's your relationship with, with religion at this time? If you're at liberty to say what... Um, Oh, of course. Um, I was thinking about this this morning, actually, because I saw a tweet about um, what do, would you consider yourself spiritual? And I, I hit the word spiritual. I hit the people that are like, <laughs> I'm not religious, but I've, I've got a great spirituality. Like, no. <laughs> um, I would consider myself Catholic still. Mm. Um, I once heard a comedian say, uh, you know, I don't even believe in God. I'm kind of an atheist, but still Catholic. It takes a lot to get <laughs> us kicked out. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I have a love-hate relationship. And, and obviously, uh, culturally, it's different. Um, I'm a Mexican, Mexican-American in mm -hmm. the United States uh, with a very strong Catholic background. But at this point in time in my life, uh, things have happened that have led me to to move away from from that particular faith. And I'm obviously fascinated by the implication of living a life following um following the catholic faith and, and religion in particular so you know i ask not to attack or to or to spite anyone but just out of curiosity what the things what things religion brings to your work and to your your life at this time mm -hmm. i actually spoke about this whenever i was teaching um some of my poetry at uh, a university in Tulsa recently, um, it, the students were asking me about my work and why 
I could still call myself a Catholic whenever I list off in my work everything that they've done wrong and everything the church has hidden, all the horrible things that it's done. How can I still consider myself Catholic? Mm-hmm. Um, and I explained to them, or at least this is what I took from a, a novel that I read recently, um, Column to Bins, the, it's called The Sign of the Cross, uh, travels in Catholic Europe, and throughout it, he goes to all these different small European Catholic countries. I say small, Spain's on that list. <laughs> um, he goes to Spain, France, um, uh, uh, Poland, uh, Romania, I think. And everywhere he sees people who, are, who consider themselves culturally Catholic, I suppose. It's mm-hmm. uh, more of a cultural thing than it is um, specifically practicing a religion. Mm. And I feel like that's something very similar with, I've, I've found that uh, Mexican Catholics and Irish Catholics are very similar in a lot of ways. <laughs> like we have a great, we have a great. Um, it, it feels like it's imbued in. Exactly. In yeah. the day to day in such a way that you can't, I mean, you may be wanting to extricate yourself from the faith, but it's so entangled with with family and who you are and, and, and how the family structure is laid out that it, it's almost inseparable. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. And that, that and it's, <laughs> yeah, we, we have, we have a great respect for maternal figures as well, which is something I don't necessarily see throughout all Christianity mm. or even Catholicism, say in America. Yeah. Whereas, uh, we very much respect Mary to almost a deified, Mm-hmm. point and we we do the same with our own mothers or our sisters or our yeah. our cousins and aunts you know right when it comes to your writing how does how do you express religion in in your writing or specifically with holy things when it comes to to this collection holy things came about um whenever i was in my final year of university it was actually a project that uh, added towards my dissertation it was a focus I wanted to do on elements of life that we feel, again, that word I hit, spiritually heightened in, mm. um, and things that are often written off by more secular religions like Christianity, Catholicism, maybe uh, Judaism or Muslim. Uh, I don't really know about those last two, so I can't really talk. Mm. But uh, elements of um, sex and faith and things that aren't necessarily religious, but um, have a fundamental understanding to our lives, like science or politics and stuff like that. Mm. Um, How I wrote about religion here is I very much uh, went back to Catholicism as a starting point. Like I borrow a lot of phrases. from the faith, uh, there's a whole collection of po- poems in this collection called uh, The Seven Sacraments of Love, where I look at baptism, um, last rites, marriage, all of these things, and I break them down into the very basis of the word. Like uh, communion is a very dirty poem, as you can imagine. It's all mm-hmm. about uh, mm. what we do with our mouth. <laughs> 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 but then you also have. Um, there's a poem I love in this collection called A Love Letter for the Swine, uh, 
where it's just talking about how how God blessed us with pork and cursed us with holy days where we can't uh-huh. eat it. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. There's so many pigs in this collection as well, and I did not intend that, but they show up a lot. D- did you ever feel like you had to work your way up to summon your own courage to write this kind of stuff? Or has it always been, have you always had this degree of honesty with yourself about religion? Um, I feel like it goes back, you're talking about uh, courage within yourself to approach this sort of thing. I, yeah. um, I had a very tumultuous relationship with faith whenever I was younger because I was uh, severely bullied it was very depressed throughout my teenage years. And um, I did at times in my later teenage years, it sort of turned to um, alcohol and mm. self-harm as just a way of releasing this pent-up anger or pent-up emotions. And at those times, I would often, whenever I was at my lowest, I would turn to religion as a way to try, so desperate to find comfort or so desperate to find answers and mm. i never got those answers mm. so i always felt very candid whenever i would talk to god in our quotes there because you know thoughts i believe now that prayers are pretty much just thoughts or one's morals or mm. very much down to what we hold ourselves to when no one's looking yeah. um well, I thank you for sharing that with me. I know it's uh, it's difficult to go back to those points that uh, transform you, that that uh, are difficult to confront, even you know once removed from them. But I, mm-hmm. I feel like that's the that almost becomes the the engine to the poetry collection, right? Where you are absolutely, yeah, it, you're using that as a as an engine for it, right? Because I uh, particularly for holy things. It was so much just um, blasphemous humor up until a certain point in the collection um, where you, I get to this poem called uh, Open Letter to the Pope. And I wanted to, bl- I started off with that st- same humor, like I give this grand title and uh, I give the Pope his whole title, you know, Archbishop of Rome, Vicar of Christ, successor of the Prince of the Apostles, all that. Mm. And then the first line in the poem is, well, big P, hush, cotton, which is a very. Um, what does that mean? <laughs> oh, it's, it's, uh, hush, cotton is, you know, what's up? Oh, <laughs> what's the news? What's the, um, I, I use a lot of Irish slang terms throughout mm. this book. Um, it, but I feel like that adds a little bit to the voice that I'm not playing stage Irish. You know, I'm not trying to yeah. say, oh, I could have been a priest or anything like that it's which that's a line out in the poem actually (laughs) (laughs) um but i try not to be stage irish um it gets this poem and then halfway through i realized it's getting much angrier like the humor is still there but it's 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 still a smile but there's no humor Mm. you know what i mean um yeah, so there's there's uh, you're serving truth, but it has to be it has to have a spoonful of of that uh, that humor, that levity to help us understand and and actually mm-hmm. uh, consume it in the right way. Because uh, sometimes the the brutality of 
of some of these things, the trauma of these things can be almost overwhelming where you, you have no other choice, right? I mean, what can we do but laugh at uh, perhaps ourselves or the situation that we're in or the absurdity of, of some, of these, some of these things? Mm-hmm. There's a great um, saying here. It's, I, I use quite often, it's, if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can't remember the phrase exactly, but we always end up laughing at ourselves most. I think it was uh, Octavio Paz who, who uh, mentioned, you know, the, so much tragedy in Mexico with the conquest. And of course, I'm paraphrasing, but ultimately all you're left with is your sense of humor because mm-hmm. uh, to, <laughs> to think about it too, too deeply might just devastate you uh, to no end. There was a comedian talking about uh, how Northern Irish Catholics really support Palestine mm. uh, because they are just a country that is being bar- bar- bombarded by Israel. It's it's like something I'll not touch, but there was a line mm. uh, that he said that just m- made me think of the relationship between Mexican Irish uh, or Mexican Catholics and Irish Catholics. It's a uh, <laughs> They are brothers in the revolution, just with a suntan. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that's about right. And you know, uh, I did learn recently there was a an Irish population in Mexico that helped us uh, battle uh, in several wars. And so I I always uh, think of the Irish, your folk, as cousins who <laughs> yeah. who backed us up and uh, who who struggled in similar ways, but. Well, there was a story I remember reading whenever I was a kid. I think they were talking about this this history book. It was talking about Pangaea, mm. um, how all the countries in the world were once one supercontinent. Yeah. And uh, they had pointed out that the Gulf Stream, the Mexican Gulf Stream, goes all the way to the north coast of Ireland because Ireland used to be in that um, carved out part oh. between where, where Cuba is. <laughs> oh, that's that's curious. <laughs> It's probably not true, but it sounds fun. <laughs> we we like to, yeah, you know, I'll take it. I will gladly accept that because uh, there is a, a great kinship there for sure. But you folks have had a difficult time and I think it seeps into your way of life and it seeps into, into the way that you see the world. These events of violence and turmoil in, in your country over the years, are they at the forefront of your mind as you're going about your day? or? Are they suppressed, um, or how do you view your own history in your country? That's a very loaded question, and you need to get me drunk for the whole answer. Oh, but. I'm, I'm sorry, and and I say it as somebody who is uh, very ill-informed a lot of the time, so I apologize. It's, it's no, no, no. It's okay. It's just um, like I come from Northern Ireland. My parents were yeah, still are Catholics, but they grew up working class Catholics at this time in. Mm-hmm. Uh, occupied Northern Ireland, which was occupied by British soldiers. Um, mm. Like if you're if you're familiar with Dairy Girls, Dairy Girls is a good representation of what was going on at this time. Oh, okay. Um, fantastic show, by the way. Okay. Uh, yeah. But when it comes to thinking of the South of Ireland, and um, like today is Easter, of course, uh, yeah. and you know more than. A hundred years ago, Easter 1916 was the rising uh, in the South whenever a group of Irishmen stood up and was like, we have our own government, uh, we're not going to serve under the Brits anymore. Mm. And they lost, the, you know, the rising fell, 
and uh, mm -hmm. they were executed. But that sort of sparked the Irish Revolution that got us our independence. Um, I I try not to focus too much on Irish history mm. purely because you're either going to repeat yourself or you're going to run into contrarians. Um, Northern Irish writing at the minute is very much focused on new, focused on the new attitudes towards Catholics and Protestants that you oh, don't really okay. touch the troubles anymore. You just talk about um, the, the idea of parochialism, like your own little corner mm -hmm. of the country or your own little um, understanding of the people mm -hmm. that you know. Um, so I try not to talk too much about being Irish or Northern Ireland for that specific, just because I don't want to fall into the trappings of playing like stage Irish. Like mm. I once got up in San Diego at an open mic and said, you may recognize me from my work on the Lucky Charms box. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd rather not do that. I don't want to be known as uh, oh, a one trick pony or as a stereotype, you know? Mm. So it seems like it's a good time to step away from what came before and define your own, your own perspective, your own voice into the new. Um, and I guess now with the internet, it's, it's a little bit easier, right? Because then yes, you're from this place, but you, you can transcend the place and, and represent yourself in, in mm -hmm. a more, I guess, global, global stage with, uh, places like Twitter, right. And social media and stuff yeah. like that. Like I'm very much involved with um, CH Cigarettes magazine. I'm their poetry editor, mm. and the majority of our uh, audience are from America. So it's it's very nice to just slip into <laughs> talking about American social justice issues because it doesn't affect me too much emotionally. Like it's mm. not tainted by my own history right. or the history of my peoples. I can say no, this is right. This so, is wrong. Like it's very clear. Yeah. So that serves you as an editor because you do become truly uh, impartial, uh, and you can see things from a, a removed perspective. In particular, with all of the turmoil and you know all of the things that are going on on our side of the world, uh, I guess we do need a little bit of distance, don't we? Mm -hmm. I yeah. think so. Um, it's it's. It's impossible to be impartial, I think. Um, you're affected by your you're affected by your race, your creed, your upbringing, um, your personal traumas and your inherited traumas from your family. You can be forgiving. I don't think that you can be impartial though. What really draws your attention as an editor? I like surprising things in poetry. Like I I like going into a poem thinking I know where it's going and then being sidelined by a very, a very nicely put together line or very nicely surprising image that I wish I'd written, you know? <laughs> um, I always say, uh, I, I mentioned this actually uh, during a Q&A uh, with Broken Spine about holy things is that I would love to write uh, the way Rebecca Sugar's music sounds. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Because there's just something, it's, it's something that you can't put your finger on when you're reading a good poem and you know it's a good poem. Like you want to raise your work up to that standard, but you know you're never going to get it. Mm -hmm. that's, that's what I look for mm -hmm. in poems. And 
that's what I look for in other people's work. Like if I read it and I can tell they're holding back or I can tell that they're struggling with a line and the way the structure is put together, I will step in and offer them some criticism. But I always said, look, it's your work. You can tell me to uh, can I swear on this podcast? Of course, of course. Uh, yeah, I you was like, right you, can tell me to fu- you can tell me to fuck <laughs> off like as much as you want. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Take what you want and leave the rest behind. So as a collaborator, you, you encourage that open dialogue. Is that normally how editors work? Or, or is it more of an authoritarian kind of relationship with, uh, with folks? Um, with work that we feature on the podcast, or work that we featured in the magazine, I would read alongside um, our editor-in-chief and our um, content coordinator, uh, now our fiction editor. Uh, We would read through poems, and ultimately it's always down to Steph, our editor-in-chief, but if she has um, a maybe over a certain poem, she'd send it on to us and ask for our feedback. Uh, sometimes she's very kind. Uh, there was one poem we got a while back that we both knew wasn't ready for publication, but there was something there. And that's what it was just getting the wording right to send back. Like, we're not accepting this right now. Blanket. And it would get sent off to another, um, publication with the same issues. But if you say there is something here. Yeah. And this has potential. You just need to keep working at it. That's uplifting. That's really wonderful because I know that um, in particular, indie magazines or or any kind of magazine endeavor, publication endeavor is completely swamped and overloaded with submissions that for you to take the time to usher someone in the right direction is is definitely (laughs) something nice to see. Mm-hmm. Well, I always endeavor to do that, even when I'm not working for the magazine. Like a load of friends of mine are poets or they're artists or writers, and I'll always be pushing them. Like Steph, again, the EIC, I keep pushing Steph to write more or send me more of their work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I, <laughs> the structure I use whenever I'm editing and I want to inspire someone is, uh, what I call a shit sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) So I start with a compliment about the piece. I then talk about where they could improve or what particularly didn't work for me. And then I'll end with another compliment because the work is good, but you're never going to get anywhere with another person if you tell them their work shit right out the gate. (laughs) Or if you say, just abandon this. You need to work with them, even if it's a subject that you're not interested in or you don't particularly think is going to work out well, you need to let them figure it out on their own and you need to push them towards that. Wonderful advice. Are you guys accepting submissions right now or is that a seasonal? We, we are closed for the moment, but we are moving towards uh, a new soft reboot, moving to publish pieces online rather than in uh, themed issues or issues that will take like three months to put together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just because we want to uplift more voices and we want to see uh, more work out. And I know wait times for submissions is always a huge um, turnoff for writers who just want to see their work out there and want to get an answer quick. Right, right. 
And you also do interviews for, for the magazine, correct? We do, yeah. Um, yeah. We so, started that between uh, a hiatus uh, at the start of the pandemic, actually. Uh, I uh, pitched it, and uh, we approached a few writers, a few academics. Um, the award-winning writer, Seal Jew, I think, was one of our first ones. And then I talked to um, Angel Matos, who we spoke about earlier. Mm. Um, we spoke with different poets about their work. And uh, usually we record the conversations and then I sit down and transcribe them. And that's the worst part. Oh, bless you. You, you are a kind soul for that. Uh, I try that for a split second and I said, you know what? I'll wait till the AI catches up with me. I can't, I can't, I can't do this. It was fine until uh, someone else was doing an interview. I think our content coordinator, Elf Francis, was doing an interview with uh, the poet Elizabeth Bourne. Mm. And there was just something wrong with the recording equipment. There was just a word or a line that, no matter how many times I listened to it, I was like, I do not know what this book is. <laughs> you know, I heard that uh, there was an app called Descript, uh, Descript or something like that. Mm -hmm. I guess the AI does the translation for you or the transcribing, excuse me. And uh, supposedly it's fairly effective. Uh, and I, I'm like, oh man, that would be really cool. But then I, I ramble on for so long <laughs> that I don't know that that's, that's my medium, but it might, might be useful for you folks. Um, um, what's, I, oh, I'd consider using it only for the fact that it, whenever you use something like that, it always, unless it's like standard British English or American English, it struggles with accents sometimes. Oh, yeah, like yeah, I, yeah. I, I use TikTok like, um, and I put, whenever I'm writing the captions for like poems that I post, I always have, uh, it, when you click on the captions, it immediately translates text to speech. Mm. And just some of the ends of my words, like mold into new ones. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the struggle, the struggle is real. Now with, with interviews, what, what are your takeaways, uh, getting to interview some of these folks? What, what have been some, some things that you've picked up along the way? But speaking to CL Jew was really great because I heard her read in San Diego whenever I studied there. And um, it was great just hearing about uh, how she's working out as a writer and <laughs> where she's going with her career. And it, it was the same thing with Angel, actually, because he's moved away from San Diego now and is working, um, I think, Massachusetts. I'm probably wrong, but I think he's, he's teaching there. Um, so it was great catching up with them. And in particular, um, I missed being in a classroom with Angel. So it was really nice to hear his thoughts on, we were talking about the Legend of Zelda series. Uh, <laughs> so it was really nice hearing his thoughts on the game and the future of the franchise, where he thinks it's going. Um, yeah, it's just really fun, actually, to talk to these people and to hear not only like academics and poets, but also um, just people, you know, right, it, right. it's not necessarily that they are insightful. I'm not expecting to go into an interview and have Stephen Hawking, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, um, it's nice hearing sort of the fallibility of people just as much as I am fallible, they are also fallible. So yeah, 
it's and I, it's a nice humility thing. Yeah, and I I do appreciate that. I'm I'm glad you feel that way because I think the greatest gift that this podcast has given me is just an understanding that we are going through similar things, but we we have our own experience, like you said, our built-in experience that um, informs so much of how we do things. And I love when a podcast about the arts becomes an episode about everything but the arts, <laughs> where you find out so much about- Beco- Becomes an episode about- us, us uh, bonding over shared Catholic experience. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's just such a wonderful, beautiful thing because at the end of the day, we have to recognize that there's human beings on the other side of this conversation, and you know, just their lived experiences is just such a gift to the world. So, hey, I'm grateful that I get to talk to you today. This has been like an absolute real treat. Now, I got a couple more questions to be respectful of your time. I don't want to keep you too late, but. What does a, a typical day for you look like, and where does writing fit into the picture for you? Well, at the moment, I'm trying to work towards um, getting a teaching role. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to have a teaching role at a university, even if it's like assistant professor. Um, I'm particularly trying to get to the States because that's where my partner is from, mm-hmm. and I'd like to you know, be with them. Of course. Yeah. Um, my day-to-day here is... Um, I'll usually wake up, I'll spend time with the family. Uh, my grandmother, she's 92, so I help my mother um, look after her or I'll look after my nephew. He's two, he's wonderful and intelligent and <laughs> he loves books, which is great because I have a whole stack of them in my room. So he just comes in and pretends to read, like he'll open up a page and go, <laughs> Oh, that's sweet. Um, so I'll spend time with family um, or I'll go to work. I, as I said, I currently work at a liquor store mm-hmm. um, and my boss is very forgiving. Like I work by myself a lot of the time. So mm. all I really have to do is stock the fridges, serve customers. And in between, I have downtime to sit and read or sit and write. Um, at oh, the I- minute, I've been, tra- I've been trying to read a lot. Uh, I got stuck on... I've been stuck on Mary Shelley's Matilda for a while, um, which is a tiny book, but it's just getting the urge to read it is the only thing. <laughs> I've, wanting to, I've been wanting to read more and more female writers. Um, mm. I love the works of Hiromi Kawakami um, and uh, Olivia Lang, but I wanted to go back to the classics because I don't read enough. I haven't really read enough female classics and uh to be honest the bronte sisters and jane austen bore the tits off me (laughs) (laughs) i wanted the mother of sci-fi so i started reading it it's very good i know exactly where it's going and my only issue is finding time to sit down and read it because i find at work yesterday particularly every time i sat down and opened the book uh someone new walked through the door oh yeah or I'd sit down, I'd check my phone, I'd reply to a few texts. And then by the time I was done with my phone and picked up the book again, someone new walks through the door. <laughs> Without fail. And it's, it's also funny you mentioned that you're working at a liquor store. My first job out of uh, my training was at a liquor store as well. And so I feel your pain. Such a peculiar place. Are there stories there? Oh, my guy, I have. 
I have written story. <laughs> I've written poems about this place. There's one uh, called Sunday Service, mm. which is about um, so on a Sunday you can't open alcoholic store here until um, until eleven o'clock in the morning, and by that time all the <laughs> I'm not going to say old fogies, but that's kind of what I'm thinking. Uh, get let out of church. Mm. And so they'll stop at the shop to pick up the wine they want to have with their Sunday dinner. Oh, goodness. Um, and that's, that was what the poem is about, is like them getting out of church and me selling them like $5, $4 bottles of the blood of Christ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that so much because it, it's, you know, coming from a working class background and, and understanding that not everyone can be in a situation where they can just spend their entire day writing. I've always oh. made it a point to, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I, I, I did say that my parents came from working class backgrounds. I was lucky enough to be raised kind of middle class. So mm. I have a lot of leisure time in between working, in between sure, spending time sure. with family. It's just, uh, and I have... A fantastic laptop. I have loads of video games. It's just <laughs> willing myself to read. Oh, I or get like, you. or getting the inspiration to write. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, with the, all the distractions we have now in this world, it's it's a surprise. It's a miracle that we get anything done as writers. I, I just think it's overwhelming. So, how does one work toward a schedule, toward getting a routine down, so that we can be effective? For me, it's I leave my laptop at home uh, whenever I go to work. I just bring a bag of books. Mm -hmm. Because because you, the reading is just as essential as the writing for you? Absolutely. Um, and also, like, I can't watch YouTube on a book. Because uh, <laughs> uh, I normally write on the notes app on my phone. That's how I mm. write poems because I, f I find it a lot more freeing than a blank page. Uh, on like a physical blank page or like the word document i yeah. find it's a lot easier to go back and change things because it's like a text at the end of the day uh-huh um right but reading i feel like you know whenever you're living the same sort of routine life like family work family work family work you need some sort of inspiration in there and it can't always come from films and tv shows or um or twitter you know, you need to read someone else's work and get into the ideas that they're thinking of. It, like yeah. yesterday, for instance, I was recording um, Ghost in the Magazine, which is the horror movie podcast that we do at CH Cigarettes. Um, mm, nice. I started, the, I started the film, it was Evil Dead from 2013, and it got me thinking about cosmic horror and the roots of cosmic horror and how uh, it's particularly American and how Lovecraft, the asshole that he was, you know, yes. he created it more or less <laughs> um, and how that was developed then by Stephen King and what was going on in the, those times in America that influenced them. Like, was it a generational thing? Was it um, what was happening in society? And then I thought of Dan Harmon and Rick and Morty. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm sitting, yeah. writing furiously, like all these notes for an essay that I'll probably never write while watching this film. You know, it's yeah. something that'll set you up on like a waterfall of writing. And in my case, it was that film, 
but not every film, not every TV show is going to do that. Um, just like not every book, like I can't see a poem coming out of Matilda. <laughs> <laughs> there may be a response, you know, and it's kind of interesting because in this day and age, everyone has a reaction video, right? You know how uh, a lot of folks on YouTube, it's like, I'm going to react to this song or I'm going to react to that. But I think that intuitively creatives and writers have that, but they, they have to fashion it in a way that is palatable and not just the surface level. So then it becomes a work of art. And I, I just, I hadn't realized that, uh, but it is a response. Like everything that we do, like you said, we are a product of our, of our experiences and the things that we consume. And then it becomes like a part of the conversation that began with, mm. you know, um, whatever book you were reading or evil dead or, or Lovecraft. And then you add to that history, you know, that conversation. And it doesn't, and it doesn't necessarily have to be criticism every time. Yeah. Um, like a lot of poems that I've written are a lot of the, the big ones, the ones that are actually popular are replies to, um, Irish writers and their work, uh, the works of Seamus Heaney or Patrick Kavna or American writers like Allen Ginsberg. I got inspired by their work or something in it um, spoke to something now uh, in myself. Like Heaney, fantastic writer, wrote about the Troubles, but also was a nature poet. He wrote a poem called uh, Death of a Naturalist, which mm. is about whenever he was young in Derry, he. Um, he found a pond filled with toads and that sort of scared the life out of him because of the <laughs> amount of croaking and like just the heat off of them in the spring. Um, wow. And that's, I started writing a poem about um, when I lived in San Diego, uh, you know, you had those cicadas all the time and we don't have cicadas here. So it was, it was sort of a nice lullaby every night. And then in the spring, frog spawn came and uh you'd hear the croaking of the frogs with the cicadas and that sort of reminded me of Heaney then and I wrote that last I wrote a last line which was um I I called it a lullaby of a naturalist this poem and the last uh line in it was Heaney hadn't a clue <laughs> not not that I don't respect them but I feel yeah. like I, whenever I wrote holy things as well it's like nothing is beyond um Nothing is beyond reproach. Nothing is beyond criticism or parody, mm. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Particularly uh, the staples of be it literature with Heaney or be it um, religion with the Catholic Church, uh, the big ones really should be able to take it and should be held accountable for either their actions with the Catholic Church or. Um, the inspiration that they give to others such as Heaney. Wow. I couldn't agree more. That's uh, incredibly powerful and it definitely makes me reflect on uh, so much at this point. And I, I could go on forever, but I got one more question for you. What has poetry done for you, for your quality of life and the way you see the world? Poetry really is a good expression of emotion for me. It's a way to pay tribute without pay tribute to family, particularly without having to be without them questioning like, "Are you Dan or what's going on?" You know what I mean? <laughs> it's uh, a way to express gratitude, to express anger. Particularly, I find anger 
or internalized anger has driven a lot of my poems. Um, and I've been able to turn that anger into something productive. Um, same with joy or sadness or sorrow. It's a way of, yeah, I, I did a podcast last Christmas, um, uh, the Pierre Glass podcast. We talked about the idea of coping in poetry. Um, and yeah, it, it is a way of coping. It's a way of expressing emotion, dealing with emotion that is safe, that is uh, cathartic. Well, wonderful, Jay. I appreciate so much uh, you taking the time to do this today. And of course, let me know the name of your podcast again, your many podcasts, so that we can include them in the episode description, because we need to get as many people to, to hear you. Yeah, that, well, man, I'm not sure. Like, I'm a lot more, <laughs> I'm a lot, it's a horror movie podcast. Like, uh, I keep calling celebrities out on really <laughs> shitty performances, and I'm waiting for either uh, Adrian Brody or Will Smith's people to send me a cease and desist. <laughs> Go boldly um, into the podcasting world, my friend. You, you can do it. <laughs> uh, so the podcast, the horror one that I'm on with, uh, Steph Nunes and El Francis and sometimes Parker, my partner, is uh, GITM at GITM podcast on Twitter or it's Ghost in the Magazine. You can buy my poetry collection if you'd like. You don't have to. Uh, Holy Things at the Broken Spine website. You can follow me on Twitter at Atlas underscore Snow. And uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that about does it then. Thank you so much, Jay. I mean, I, I really had a wonderful time getting to learn from you and talk with you about life and craft and everything in between. And I hope that if anything else comes up, feel free to let me know and I'd be happy to catch up with you. But it's really been a pleasure, Jay. I really appreciate your time. Of course, it's, it was so much fun, man. Mm -hmm.